welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We hope this show is your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Well, today we're going to talk about retail and retail real estate and what a great sector to talk about. There's been a lot of changes in the retail world. There's been a lot of movement in the retail investment properties and retailers with online and in-store. A lot of things going on. We're going to get to it all. We're also going to talk about ICSC Recon coming up. But please welcome my first guest. It's Jim Costello. He's Senior Vice President with Real Capital Analytics. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. And Jim's joining us on Skype. And Jim, you guys do a great job of tracking property sales all over the country. How are retail property sales volume trending right now? It seems like it's a pretty active space. There's two ways to look at it. Relative to last year at this time, deal volume is down quite substantially. 31% year-over-year decline in deal volume. However, that's on sales of $17.9 billion for the first quarter of 2016. $17.9 billion is still an elevated level of activity. So one way to look at it is that this first quarter of 2016, we just didn't have those mega deals, the big portfolio and entity level transactions, nearly as much as we did early in 2015. And it's a hard number to hit if you're not doing those mega deals. So to put it in perspective, if you look at historic years, maybe even pre-recession, how does it compare? Compared to pre-recession years, it looks like a great quarter in terms of total deal volume. Yeah. People are always thinking about the last deal they did, though, and right. they're thinking about the last period they were in. And the fact that deal volume is not as strong as it was at this time last year raises some concerns on the part of uh, investors. Right. What have you done for me lately, right? Exactly. What about cap rate trends there, Jim? What do you see there? Is it, are cap rates kind of stable? Are they still compressing a little? Well, that's one of the interesting things for the quarter. If you saw declining volume and cap rates starting to move up, that'd be a big red flag. That'd be a sign uh, of a market where there was weakness and price discovery was pushing asset values lower. Instead, what we've seen is cap rates really unchanged from a year earlier. And with reduced volume, another way to look at it is that buyers and sellers are just moving further apart on their pricing expectations. And in some sense, I look at this as a bit of a hung market more than anything. That's interesting. And obviously we sell, or maybe not obviously to some of our listeners, but we sell shopping centers all over the Southeast. And, you know, and it seems like we're at the top of the market. If you're saying cap rates are pretty flat and pretty stable, then that may indicate that we're at the top of the market in this cycle. But yet we still have some sellers that believe that it's going to go higher. The cap rates are going to stay stable or maybe go lower. And if they stay stable, maybe they'll have an OI growth and they still don't want to sell. Cap rates are flat, and you look at that, and, and some investors, you know, when they hold an asset, you know, they see some ongoing NOI growth, and they understand that they're going to have some uh, value growth as, as a result. Maybe not the double-digit growth rate and value that they saw over the last five years when you had a combination of both NOI increases and cap rate decreases. But even you know some marginal increases in NOI will drive some value growth. But when I go to industry conferences, the kind of discussion that I get involved in with clients, they tend to have this thought that cap rates are inevitably going to go up, that you know, we're at a record low, it can't stay here forever, cap rates rise and we all die. That's <laughs> sort of the thinking that goes on with a lot of folks. It need not be like that. Right now, if you've got a cash flowing asset with uh, some stable tenants and some growth in NOI, you have no reason to sell. And even if you did, where else are you going to put that money? You're killing me. You're killing me. I'm a broker over here, <laughs> No, the brokers are going to have both the hardest time mm -hmm. and some of the biggest rewards in this, in this uh, new environment. 
I mean, the, the way I look at it, you know, people have been asking a lot of conferences, what in an Iran? What in an Iran? That's, that's been sort of the, the mantra of late. Uh, and I, I think the question, the answer to it is that we're in a new game now. Uh, you know, the last game, we had a good offense out there, falling interest rates, falling cap rates, you know, drove up uh, uh, prices at double-digit rates. It, we have a, it's a new game, a new set of players. You know, we're not going to have that cap rate uh, compression to the same degree. Uh, and with that, I think brokers have uh, a, a new job that they have to do. You know, in, in, the, last, in the last game, it was easy. You, know, you, got, you got buyers, you got sellers. You know, they agree on prices pretty easily. They come together without a lot of uh, extra effort. The, this market, it, it is hung with some different pricing expectations on the part of buyers and sellers. And, and I think the only way it moves is with brokers. Uh, I think it's a case of you know, brokers working with the buyers to help them, number one, understand that you know, just because they are a little bit uncertain about where interest rates are going to go, they can't expect current prices to come down 5 to 10% to help them with their uncertainty. Uh, and likewise, I think they really need to do a lot to help educate sellers that uh, they may not get the, the kind of double-digit growth rates you know, that they had seen the last five years and that for them to wait uh, further, that there's not going to be too much in terms of additional gain. Well, you know, that's, let's, that's a, a let's, challenge let's for talk, the educator. And let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, what do you say to the folks who say, well, look, interest rates can only go up. And when the cost of capital goes up, it should impact cap rates, at least in, in some way, if there's not a lot of extra demand uh, from, from buyers out there for other reasons, right? Uh, that's true. Interest rates should eventually go up. And in fact, if you look at uh, forecasts from economists over the last five years, we keep saying that interest rates are going to go up next year. One interesting thing, if you look at, say, the consensus survey of economists that the Wall Street Journal puts together, the, the thing that, that I take away from all the revisions over time is the expectation for two years out continues to be revised lower and lower and lower. Yeah, I think that you know, where we are now with the 10-year Treasury around 2%, maybe a little lower, it's something that is obviously unusual. You know, we've never had things quite at these low levels. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to go back up to, say, the 7% long-run average when you go back to the 1920s. Mm -hmm. you know, there's just a different structure in the global economy today. Yeah, I, I think we're in a permanent lower interest rate environment. And you know, in, in that kind of low interest rate environment, you know, real estate will thrive. Right. Right. Well, it sounds like you're, you sound like a, a broker. You sound like one of us. You're saying, hey, for sellers, you might be at the top of the market. And buyers, I don't be afraid of, of rising rates. It's not going to impact cap rates that much. And you should have some NOI growth. So what do you say to the folks who are looking for some distress that maybe the 10-year loans that were put on uh, in the height of the market and the highest prices coming uh, ballooning in, in 16 and 17 with these maturities? Do you think there's going to be uh, some distress out there uh, in retail? You know, we, we did a study of that earlier this year. We took a look at the CMBS loans originated in 06, 07, the ones that have survived so far. And the ones that have survived so far, you know, you've got some cash flowing assets. So there's something valuable there. Uh, that said, you know, the prices at which they these assets were bought in 06 and 07 or refinanced at the time, it, we, we plotted 
those benchmark values against our commercial property price indices for the retail sector. It will, we put together an index of prices where we do sort of a same store analysis, looking at when a building sold last to get a true measure of market movements. And, and so when we do that, uh, in aggregate, it gives us a good picture of where commercial property prices would be. And you know, when we lay it against every retail uh, uh, building that tied to a CMBS loan, we could see an estimate of where uh, uh, values would be for that sector overall. And, and the thing is, a lot of those assets are not quite back at the previous levels uh, for, for where they were, uh, the, the previous price levels at which they were originally underwritten. And so that raises a couple of problems. There's some buildings, a very small percentage, where you are so far below the, the previous price that at kind of current lending standards, uh, you're going to have a very difficult time uh, uh, getting a new loan. There's, there's, there's a middle gap where you've seen some price recovery and you, know, you, you have more in the deal now than, than when you started, but still not quite at the level that you need to be able to refinance. So you're going to need some MEZ or you know, some sort of preferred equity situation. Or even uh, maybe just sell it, take what you can, and, and, and walk away. Yeah. So those are three capital events yeah. that a large part of the retail market is going to need in the year ahead. Right. Actually, about 47% of all retail loans issued in 06, 07 that have still survived are going to need that kind of help. 47%. So that's 47 so, yeah. What's that? It's 47%. So there may be some opportunity. And uh, uh, Jim, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, as always, uh, great information. And stay tuned. We're going to have Jesse Tronum from ICSC. We're going to talk about some retailer strategies and some ICSC previews for Recon in Las Vegas. This is, I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about retail investment properties. We're talking about retail tenant strategies. And we're also talking about the upcoming ICSC Recon event in Vegas. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jesse Tron. He's spokesman for ICSC, the International Council of Shopping Centers. Jesse, thanks for joining us on Skype today. Michael, thanks as always for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, Jesse is on Skype using technology. He's in New York. I'm in the Atlanta studio today. And and Jesse, we're going to talk about uh, Recon. It's really the global event for retail real estate. But before we do that, you know, it's, it's tax day recently passed, <laughs> and I had to pay taxes. But a lot of people are have been getting uh, refunds. How significant is that on the retail industry? Yeah, it's actually it, it's more significant than people probably think. Uh, so first of all, about 65% of Americans um, received a refund. So you're more in the minority than you are in the majority <laughs> there uh, that you have to pay. But um, and it was about on average uh, two grand, a little over two grand. Um, but the the surprising number is that about a third of that 
for all refunds is going to be spent on goods and services. So that has an absolute direct impact on the retail industry uh, and of course on the real estate, you know, the retail real estate industry. Um, and so we are seeing people spending those refunds uh, at about four out of five, 80% are going to be spending them in physical stores. So that's a good thing for shopping centers, of course. Um, but the one thing to note about these refunds is they're very similar to gift cards post-holiday season in that they're, it's spread out. Uh, so people don't spend it all at once uh, in one shot in one store. They're more likely to do that if they're going to be spending that refund on travel or if they're going to invest it or save it or pay down debt. But when they're spending it on goods and services, they tend to stagger those purchases a little bit. So that's something to be aware of. But you know, a third of all those refunds, that's going to be coming back directly into the economy in the form of consumption. Well, and the consumers really are the big driver of the U.S. economy, so so that's a great thing, and certainly of, of retail real estate. So, so JC, who are the winners in this tax refund deal? Who are the retailers that are getting the bulk of this uh, spending? Yeah, it's it's uh, not surprisingly, it's discount stores, uh, you know, and and dollar stores and things like that. You know, people are trying to, like I said, stretch that a little bit further, um, you know, and take advantage of that little extra money that they do have when they're going to be spending it on goods and services. So discounters were the the number one, um, but then you're also going to see service uh, providers and restaurants and things like that that are going to get a bump uh, from people having a little bit extra money in their pockets. Okay. And that's interesting that 80% uh, that are spending on goods and services are going to be in the brick and mortar stores. And, you know, I follow you on, uh, on Twitter. You're at Tron Jesse. And I read that uh, Warby Parker, who's an online retailer, uh, prescription eyewear, they were just selling online for three years. And they started opening brick and mortar. Now they have 27 stores. They have 20 more planned. And uh, so what's going on? I mean, are more of these retailers, online retailers uh, coming into shopping centers? Absolutely. Um, it's a trend. Warby Parker is not alone in that. They're definitely one of the more high-profile ones. They're definitely expanding uh, very quickly. But there are other companies like Bonobos, which is a men's retailer, uh, Frank and Oak, Tummy to Teens, uh, War, uh, Warby Parker we mentioned, of course, but Blue Nile, which is the jewelry store, opened up its its second uh, physical location. And now, of course, uh, you know, the 800-pound uh, elephant in the room or the gorilla in the room, sorry, is, is Amazon. Uh, and they have now opened up their second store or at least announced that they're going to be opening up their second store. And that one's going to be actually located in a mall. So it's very interesting that you're really seeing this trend, uh, you know, from clicks now to bricks because retailers you know these online retailers have realized that they're hitting a ceiling in terms of market share you can only gain so much online and to actually be able to go out and make that critical connection with the consumer that you need you need that physical presence you know we are 100% squarely living in an omni-channel retail landscape and to me the physical location is the epicenter of that omni-channel landscape. That doesn't mean the other channels aren't important, but it's really the anchor. You know, and sorry for the pun, we we talk about anchors in in retail real estate all the time, but the store is the anchor of that omni-channel retail landscape because it allows you to do everything else around it. It allows you to solve the last mile equation as a retailer. You can now obviously buy in store or browse in store. You can buy in line 
pick up in store, you can buy online, ship to home, but return to store. So it just gives you so many more options to have that physical location. And critically, it makes that touch point with the consumer, which is a complete necessity in today's day and age because, you know, at the article that you talked about, about Warby Parker, they mentioned 65% of consumers want that physical interaction. That's their number one reason for shopping in a store. Um, you know, some of the others are convenience and immediate uh, gratification and things like that. But being able to touch, try, feel the actual product is still incredibly important. And I don't see that changing. Yeah, people do want to touch the product, even if they go in the store and, and touch it and feel it and order it online, maybe even while they're in the store, right, with some of these new apps. Well, they, they certainly can. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, all, all of our surveys that we do around major holidays come back that at least 60%, if not more, of people are using their mobile device while they're physically standing in a store or a shopping center. Now, most of the time, what they're doing is research, um, but you could certainly buy, uh, you know, right from right from the app or right from your mobile phone, or you could go to the teller and they're gonna, you know, order it for you if they don't have it in your in your size, and they'll ship it to your home, um, you know, and then you can come back and return it, you know, to the actual store and make that ease of return transaction so much uh, cleaner as well. Right. Well, it's interesting. I was in a, short, a store not too long ago, and I came in to buy something. The guy just walked me over to a terminal, went online, and, and helped me shop online. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, you know, I could have done that at home. I, didn't, I wanted to come out here, touch it, feel it, and buy it. Well, uh, we're talking with Jesse Tron, spokesman for ICSC, and they're really the global association for the uh, retail and uh, real estate uh, industry. And uh, Jesse, you mentioned about these online um, retailers going in, into brick and mortar and expanding. Who are some of the other retailers that you guys see expanding out there today? Well, in terms of categories that are um, still incredibly quote unquote hot, I would say fast fashion is still at the top. Um, you know, brands like Uniqlo, H&M, Zara, Forever 21, they've done an incredible job, especially of marketing and catering to the millennial demographic, uh, simply because they have uh, clothes at the right price and they're able to change their inventory quickly. So they're expanding quite a bit. And now you have uh, new entrants into that sphere, which are Topshop um, from the UK and also Primark from the UK has really started to make inroads into the US. And I expect them to continue to have an aggressive expansion here in the US from a store's perspective because they don't sell online in the US. They, so their whole US expansion model is going to be based off of stores. And the reason for doing that is they are so low on their prices that they simply cannot uh, afford to sell online because the shipping and delivery is just too high. So they're really focused on bringing people into their stores. So those category, that category, I think is is very important right now. Discounters also doing very well, I think, um, and dollar stores. They're continuing to expand. And then some of the more experiential offerings. You know, I think um, we're definitely seeing restaurants, dining options of that nature, cafes. Um, and then, you know, other experiential things like entertainment. Uh, All right. Also well, stay tuned. I want to ask Jesse about ICS Recon. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show that you're listening to or watching. Thanks for being with us. Well, we're talking with Jesse Tron. He's the spokesman for ICSC, the real global uh, retail association. And uh, Jesse, you have the uh, ICSC recon coming up in Vegas. It's May 22nd to May 25th. This is really the global convention for retail, the shopping center industry. And it seems like the attendance has really been growing every year since the downturn. What do you expect this year? Yeah, it really is the global convention for, for our industry. We, and we anticipate that about 50% of deals are either started or finished. Every That's amazing. Time. So it's, a, it's a beehive of activity without a doubt. We're running ahead on, in terms of attendance. We had 36,000 people last year. So we're expecting to slightly surpass that. Again, we're running about 1,000 ahead. So 36, 37,000 again coming up this year in May. I can't believe it. And if you Absolutely. haven't been to this convention, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, Everywhere you look, there's people actually signing leases, signing offers. Just It's an amazing place uh, to do business. So if you're involved in retail or retail real estate at all, you definitely want to be at Recon in Vegas. I will be there. Say hello if you are. So, Jesse, what's new for 2016? Well, there's a couple of things. I'm really excited about our speaker lineup. You know, we're kicking off on Sunday with Irvin Magic Johnson, you know, and obviously he's been in the news lately after Kobe's retirement. So there should be some interesting things going on there. But, you know, he's also a big businessman, especially in L.A. Uh, and owns some real estate. So I think he's going to really provide some valuable insights for the industry. We've also got Bobby Brown. You should play uh, him one-on-one, Jess, is what you should do, some one-on-one <laughs> basketball. <laughs> that wouldn't go well for me at all. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think I want to do that. We also have Bobby Brown. She's uh, the founder of Bobby Brown Cosmetics. We have Gary Friedman from Restoration Hardware, and then Prague Kana, who's a, a strategist, a futurist, basically. So a, a very exciting lineup. And again, we have professional development day on Sunday which is really really interesting it's we started it last year it's this non-compete day it's education only it was absolutely packed last year we had to take down air walls within uh, the Westgate Hotel just to accommodate some of the sessions because we didn't think it was going to be that packed and it was so absolutely we're prepared for that fully this year so if you want to come out to professional development day we really encourage that we think it's a great way to get some education while you're at recon and of course get credit towards an ICSC certification if that's something that you're looking for as well and then we have a full educational program again running throughout the conference but Sunday is that non-compete day for education and what are some sample uh, classes that are popular retail is a catalyst for economic development talking about experience, which we talked about in the previous segment, reinvention of property, redevelopment. That's a really big topic within the industry. Last year, $17.5 billion was spent on construction in our industry. A lot of that was going to redevelopment. So um, that's going to be a popular class. Anything else new this year that might surprise us? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm hosting a live show on the uh, floor right across from the entrance to the C1 Hall. I've got a great lineup of C-suite guests um, from a lot of the, the member companies. So a lot of the CEOs are going to be out there talking to me about the say of the industry and the future and what they expect going forward. So I encourage you to, if you're at the show, 
come check that out. Come sit in with us. Uh, if not, it, it can be found on ICSC's YouTube channel about an hour after uh, each live segment is taped. So really encourage you to do that. And of course, you can find it by also following ICSC on Twitter uh, or, or liking the Facebook page or anything like that and following us on LinkedIn. Um, so that's a really good one. Uh, some of the other things that I think we really uh, are interested in this year. We're bringing kind of a taste of Silicon Valley to the mix. We have this entire technology lounge that's also going to be in the main uh, hall right next to the, our ICSE live show booth. So we're going to have some very interesting startups in terms of CRE tech that's going to be there, about 10 different companies. And then they're also going to compete on Monday and Tuesday for what we're calling the next big thing. And then on social media. Follow us on social media because there's so much going on at the show. We're doing a hashtag hunt this year. That's a contest. So if you see any of the social media team walking around, they'll be wearing a gear. They'll be holding signs. Take a picture with them. Follow, follow them. Use the uh, hashtag, the official hashtag for Recon, Recon 16, and you'll win a prize. That's a fun little thing to do. But also social media is a great place to catch up on a lot of the different information and goings on that are at the show. I mean, you're in your booth, you're doing deals, but then go and check your social feed, check ICSC's feed. And we're pumping out content throughout the show. SCT does a great job covering the show. So make sure you see that. You can follow them on social media as well, but they'll also be sending out digital newsletters at the end of each day. That's excellent. Well, we have the end of the show here, Jesse, we're at the end of this segment. So give us one quick tip for attendees. Yeah, quick, a couple of quick tips for attendees. Plan ahead. Recon is an appointment-driven show, and people's schedules are booking up now. So if there's somebody you really want to meet with, go book it now and get on their calendars. Excellent. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Good information as always. And we'll have more information. We'll have a link to ICSC Recon event on our show website, seriesshow.com. Stay tuned. We'll have more on retail investment real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and you're listening or watching The Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Now we're going to look into retail investment sales. All right, please welcome my next guest is John Harrison. He's a VP of the National Retail Group with Bull Realty. John, thanks for joining us here in Studio One today. My pleasure, Michael. Good to be here. Well, we appreciate it, John. And you've been in the industry for over 30 years selling uh, shopping centers and retail properties around the, the Southeast U.S. And you're talking to you know, buyers and sellers every day and doing deals. A lot of people are suggesting that maybe values have peaked out here in 2016 mm -hmm. and that maybe we're at the top of the market. You know, what are, you, what are your buyers and sellers uh, saying? What are you seeing? I'm beginning to get that, uh, uh, that uh, opinion from buyers uh, and sellers. I think that there's been so much capital in the market. You know, the interest rates have been low. Um, there's been volatility in the equity market. So there's been a lot of capital chasing real estate over the last several years. And cap rates have reacted accordingly. They've, they've uh, dropped in retail. You know, the, 
the centers that were selling at maybe an eight and a quarter cap rate uh, a year to a year and a half ago were selling at a seven and a half to seven and three quarter. Um, but investors now that uh, can tolerate the risk of a multi-tenant shopping center that are buying or having to buy it as a seven and a half cap rate are starting to think, well, would I be better off diversi diversifying my portfolio and looking at some single tenant net leases that I could buy at six, six and a half, six and three quarter cap. So the sense is that the, uh, the distance between the cap rates and interest rates will continue to uh, shrink as interest rates uh, rise and that there's not a lot of room left for compression. So I think we've reached a point where the market is stable in the sense that uh, buyers know where the cap rate averages are and sellers' expectations about further compression, I think, have, have, um, have been reduced. So. So, so I guess if you've been holding out as a seller uh, for the top of the market, it sounds like that's where we are. It sounds like what everyone's saying. So, so what are the buyers doing? What, what are they doing to, to increase yields? Uh, where are they buying? What's their interest today? Well, the, um, the, the pension, the, the, the private uh, equity funds are buying core assets still. So um, uh, one of my groups that's a national buyer likes to buy around malls. They'll buy in sub-markets. They'll buy outside of core areas and outside of the, uh, the, uh, the urban areas. But they want to be on the best uh, street and across the street from a, a regional mall but they will buy a property that may have not been fulfilled in leasing yet. So they'll inherit some risk and maybe pay for the opportunity to create uh, some value over time. So the uh, buyers that uh, uh, years ago may have paid strong caps only for a stable, fully leased property now are looking at opportunities that they realize are maybe just coming out of the cycle, coming out of the, out of the downturn that haven't been fulfilled yet, but will be one day. So they're willing to take on maybe uh, more lease-up risk than they would have um, in, uh, in 2003, 4, 5, for instance. Well, that makes sense, I guess, because they're looking for yield. They're looking for ways to, to increase their profits and uh, have right. a, kind of a little bit of value add there. So right. what about the private investors and family office buyers? Uh, are they changing kind of their criteria? Yeah, some of the buyers who uh, were active buying out of uh, REO, for instance, back in 2010, 11, and 12, now realize that um, uh, the markets have stabilized, that they're, if they're going to compete and be active, they're going to be buying properties that are well leased, that are stable. Um, but to increase yield, they're looking at secondary and tertiary markets. So Atlanta has, um, um, if you look at Atlanta as a uh, metro area of all the major counties and are willing to buy out in Cartersville, for instance, or Gainesville, then there are still opportunities there to buy good real estate. There's not quite as much competition. So some of the, um, the private funds are acknowledging that to hit that eight or 9% yield that you may not be buying in Dunwoody, you may be buying 
you know, 30 minutes outside of Metro Atlanta. Right. And whatever market you're buying in, I think that's uh, kind of what you're seeing, right? That some of these investors are not able to get the infill properties. Maybe they're going out to the kind of the close in suburbs uh, to, to kind of chase yield and sure. and uh, and where houses are kind of are selling again, right? Oh, yeah. 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 An investor called a seasoned investor called me recently and he mm -hmm. said, look, my son's in his last year at tech and I'm buying a home down in Midtown. Show me properties down in the Midtown market or West Midtown, which is a popular market now. And I said, look, I'll find you some things to look at, but be prepared for cap rates that are below what you would buy a 15-year dollar general at. Right. So we went through a few um, uh, properties and he decided to invest out in the suburbs. So the suburbs, you know, are, you're now seeing uh, even mixed-use developments and more urbanization out in the, uh, outside of uh, 285 with a mixed-use project. So there are opportunities to invest in, um, in, in strong properties that are affiliated with or close to a large mixed-use development. So you get some of the energy and the traffic that you would in town, but you're buying out in Alpharetta, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got to look around for some of these secondary markets and secondary sub-markets to, mm -hmm. to find the returns. And I want to ask you uh, a couple of things, mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to take a short break. When we get back, I want to ask you about how many of your buyers are, are paying cash and how many are funding these deals at acquisition. Then, if you will, just share a couple tips for, for buyers looking to acquire properties in this market and then for sellers you know, looking to sell in this market, which sounds like it might be time to do that. Right. So, so stay tuned. We'll have more on retail investment real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, Commercial Real Estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. That's ccim.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. My guest is John Harrison. He's VP of the National Retail Group at Bull Realty. And uh, John, of the buyers acquiring property today, it seems like the lending market's got a, a, a little tougher underwriting. Are your, most of your buyers paying cash today, or are they financing an acquisition? The uh, the private equity funds are paying cash at acquisition, and they will go uh, and put debt on properties later. Um, sometimes they'll have to stabilize a property, so they'll choose to put debt on once they've hit a, uh, an 85, 90% occupancy level. Uh, but they've got the cash, so it's a, it, it tends to be a quicker due diligence, quicker close. The, uh, the private investors and a number of the foreign investors are, are choosing to go with uh, with conduit debt or with bank debt and um, um, the interest rates have been steady for the past six months rates have been four and a half four to four and a half percent so there's um, there's plenty of money to finance shopping centers well right now. it makes sense to finance it if you're getting mm -hmm. rates at four and a half and cap rates at six or more right right, right. Uh, oh yeah it makes sense to put some leverage on it at least and uh, well if you will John I'd like you to share some tips out there so if you're an institutional buyer a private equity buyer <laughs> foreign family officer, whoever you are mm -hmm. what are maybe three tips for for a buyer in this market 
Well, one tip is uh, focus on uh, looking at your tenant, look at, look at your mix of tenants, look at the leases that are written. Um, I'm seeing properties that are coming out of, uh, uh, you know, five-year leases now that were written back in 2010. Landlords were giving concessions then that they don't give now. You know, we were in a different market then. So it's critical to really look at the leases, uh, look for co-tenancy issues, look for exclusives that were given um, back during 2010 and 11, and weigh that as a, a part of the investment, part of the risk that you're inheriting. Mm -hmm. uh, so tenancy issues are, are, are critical. Um, and 90% and, and of our listeners are going to know what co-tenancy is, but if you're just driving down the road and you flipped mm -hmm. on the radio, yeah. co-tenancy is when uh, another tenant leaves, maybe an anchor tenant leaves, you have some rights to maybe uh, reduce your rent or get out of your lease and exclusives. Uh, mean that uh, you you may not be able to sell certain things in your in your store because another store has an exclusive and right. sometimes when those things don't match or there's problems uh, the new investor could have a problem with the tenant so that's, right. that's a good one so what's some other tips for for buyers well uh, I always encourage buyers to look at location strongly look at the neighborhood surrounding the property look at ease of access uh, shoppers generally like to be able to pull into a shopping center park easily mm -hmm. Uh, shop and then get out. So, location is important, especially if you're not paying and you need to exit. You know, right. your car right to the exit. You're getting right. out quickly. <laughs> um, but uh, um, some tenants don't require uh, uh, the the premium location in the sense that if they're a service tenant, you know, they might they might be fine on uh, a secondary street. So it's not to say that you can't buy properties that are. Um, on second tier uh, roads, for instance, uh, but make sure that the tenants you're buying are, are destination oriented and market themselves and don't depend on the um, uh, exposure for traffic, for instance. End of the show, real quick, one quick tip for a seller in this market. Be organized, have your files ready, uh, take care of preventive maintenance before you put a property on the market. Uh, properties always look better in a brochure than they do up front <laughs> when the California buyer shows up, so right. watch for that. John, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being sure, here Michael. in Studio thank you. One. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us out there on the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're watching on YouTube, or maybe you're watching on the, or listening on the show website. Thank you for being with us. Uh, remember, you can uh, check out the show on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Uh, all the links are on our show website, and you can hear uh, all the shows from the past, so check them out. Until next week, well, wait, next week, we're talking about multifamily. You've got to join us next week, one of the hottest property markets in the country. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. Valuate, 
Easily share what-if analysis online with colleagues. Visit GetValuate.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.